Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad Podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad, Anil Polat. How are you doing today? Let's get right into this episode. Just a quick note, uh, there's not going to be an episode two weeks from now because there's a Thanksgiving holiday in there. And so the next episode after this one is going to be the first week of December. Oh boy, it's going to be busy until then. There is a lot, a lot going on. Uh, let me let, let you know about, first of all, there is a, I'm giving away a $100 Apple gift card. It's the first of a lot, a lot of giveaways I'm doing between now and the end of the year. So I'm going to leave a link to a video, which right now is my latest video, but probably won't be by the time you're listening to this. Uh, if all you have to do is be subscribed to my YouTube channel and then just leave a comment on that video. Boom. There you go. You're entered to win a $100 Apple gift card. Like I said, I've got a lot of giveaways going. So um, I've got one going on a Trove wallet on my newsletter. So if you follow me on, you know, Twitter's probably the best place. Uh, my newsletter as well is a good place to follow. So if you want to keep up on all of those, I just sent out some Tortuga backpacks. It's busy and I like to give back to you. And uh, this is the time of the year where I tend to get a lot of things in the studio and I like to give them away. I, I like to give you guys stuff uh, and it's it's fun. So uh, hopefully I can do that. So make sure that you're following. Speaking about in-studio stuff, there is a lot of tech coming up. Uh, right now, you should see the trickle of videos from Alaska, but I'm going to catch up a lot on tech videos. So I know a lot of you are shopping at this time of the year, and I've got a lot of tech that I want to share with you and some big videos, some videos that I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull off, but there's going to be a lot of tech in them. So hopefully uh, those are coming up soon. And I've got a new MacBook Pro on the way, but uh, it is coming all the way right now, estimated December 20th, and I ordered it. Uh, so it would be about two months total time waiting. So fortunately in this episode, I'm gonna explain why that's happened because the chip shortage has finally caught up to Apple and the chip shortage is something you've heard probably a lot about, but you probably heard a lot of misinformation or myths about it. So I just wanna clear up why the chip shortage is happening in the first place and how you should plan your electronic shopping around it. Spoiler alert, order as early as you can. However, it's the flip side of that is there are a lot of deals coming out. So so l l let's narrow that down a little bit. All right. But the big news of this week is that the U.S. is opening up to travelers again. This is the first time in about 18 months since March of last year, since when the pandemic really uh, began. So I want to tell you now, effective November 8, 2021, the U.S. is opening up to travelers from a lot of countries. I want to explain what those rules are because a lot of people don't seem to be clear on the rules. Uh, and it's confusing because do you need a test? Do you not need a test? What if you're a U.S. citizen? What if you're not U.S. citizen? So I figured I'd spend this episode and just take this segment to just explain to you what those rules are. So let's go to the very beginning. Like I said, travelers from Europe and a lot of other countries weren't allowed in the United States for most reasons. Uh, since March of 2020, but now effective on November 8, which is a couple of days ago from the release of this podcast, November 8, 2021, all non-immigrant, non-U.S. citizen air travelers to the United States will be required to be fully vaccinated and provide proof of vaccination status prior to boarding an airplane to the United States. 
The exemptions to this policy are children under 18, people who are medically unable to receive the vaccine, and emergency travelers who do not have timely access to a vaccine. Humanitarian exceptions are also being made on an extremely limited basis. Now, that's the we're going to get into the details, but that's the basic for non-U.S. citizens. Now, if you are a U.S. citizen or a legal permanent resident, it's a little bit more clear for you. So the U.S. so U.S. citizens and legal permanent residents who are eligible to travel but are not fully vaccinated will need to provide proof of a negative COVID test one day before your flight departure. U.S. citizens and LPRs, legal permanent residents, who are fully vaccinated will need to present the airlines with a proof of vaccination and a negative COVID test within three days before your flight. So let's get that one out of the way because that one's a little bit more clear. If you are a U.S. citizen or a permanent legal permanent resident, then if first of all, if you're leaving the U.S., right, so you're going somewhere else, you got to know what the rules are in the place that you're going. Do you need a COVID test? Do you not need a COVID test? How many days do you need it by? Do they require vaccination? That depends entirely on where you are going. There are no restrictions in the U.S. for leaving the country, right? So there's nothing you have to do based on the U.S. rules when you leave. However, where you're going will have rules, so you got to make sure that you get those. Otherwise, they're probably not going to even let you on the flight. Now, if you are a U.S. citizen or a legal permanent resident who is returning to the U.S., very clearly, right now, as of this, and again, these things can change, but this is this is basically been the uh, the rule for the last few weeks now leading up to this November 8th date. If you are not vaccinated, you need a COVID test within one day before your flight's departure. That means 24 hours before you depart, you need a negative COVID test. Now, if you are vaccinated, you can get that test within three days. Now, the advantages of that, obviously, are that you have more time. You don't have to spend, now your flight may be at like, you know, 3 p.m. one day, so then you've got to go at like 5 p.m. the next day. The timing might be tight within 24 hours, obviously, which is uh, not going to be convenient. You might not be able to get a COVID test within 24 hours. It might be hard to find a, a you know a place that's open and so on. And uh, the next thing is that if you do test positive, like if you have three days, then you can take the test again another day and hopefully it turns out negative. So you've got more leeway. Now, imagine that you're not vaccinated, come back positive, you don't show symptoms, let's say, hopefully, uh, but then you still can't get on that flight. So you're kind of stuck in that, you know, you don't have a buffer. So you want to make sure that you're vaccinated. Obviously, that protects you from the vaccine, uh, that protects you from the, the virus itself. There are a lot of advantages. So that's pretty straightforward for U.S. citizens and legal permanent residents. Now, if you are not a U.S. citizen, let me tell you, Let's get into all the details. So, uh, they have a there's a handy fact sheet I'm going to give you. What should passengers? What should you provide to the airlines to show that you are fully vaccinated? All right. What what is what is fully vaccinated proof look like? Now, if you are a U.S. citizen or a foreign national, you have to be fully vaccinated and you have to show the proof. The proof of vaccination should be a paper or digital record issued by an official source and should include your name your date of birth, as well as the vaccine product, so which vaccine did you get, and the dates of administration for all the doses that you have received. If you're in the U.S. that you know that vaccination card, has a, it's a little CDC card that they give you that's filled out. It's very simple. There is no, as far as I know, no federal digital, uh, there's no digital 
version of that. Some states do have that. I believe New York has something like that. But you just need proof of vaccination. I'm going to guess for countries where there's going to be a lot of travel back and forth, like Europe and, and the UK, you know, there's going to be a, a pretty set vaccination card, you know, what that looks like or a digital copy that the airlines are just going to be expecting when you get on board. And if you're flying from a place where there isn't as much traffic, uh, just check with the airline if you're unsure. So I'm going to guess that most official vaccine cards are going to work for most places you're coming from. And the airline that takes that vaccine card when you leave is probably going to be the one who's checking the card. They're probably not going to check it at immigration for everybody. So it's probably the airline. So the airlines can be familiar. So if you're leaving like from Malaysia, you want to check Malaysia Air and make sure that your specific vaccine card will work. So there you go. If you're leaving the U.S., it's going to be your CDC card. And if you have a digital copy as well on your phone, like from New York, then you might as well, you know, you should have that as well with you. So hopefully that clears up what a vaccine record is. Now, who needs to present your vaccination status to the airlines? Now, this is for people who are coming to the U.S., all of these rules. That's what we're going down. So foreign nationals, you need a proof of vaccination prior to departure to the United States. And vaccination proof is not required for U.S. citizens or legal permanent residents. Vaccinated U.S. citizens and LPRs and their dependents, you just need to show documentation of a negative viral test three days before departure, all right? Now, to get that three days, you need to present proof of vaccination to qualify for that three-day window. So if you are unvaccinated and you don't have a, and you get a COVID test three days before you leave, when you arrive to the U.S., they're going to say, when was your COVID test? Or when you try to board the flight, when was your COVID test? You're going to say three days before now. Great, where's your vaccine card? If you don't have that, they're probably not going to let you board the flight. So don't try to cheat around that and make sure that you know what the rules are okay now how do the airlines how are they even going to know like how are they going to verify you right so in addition to verifying your pre-departure negative test which airlines will have to do you have to show them your vaccine card you need to show a paper record a photo of the paper record will also work or something in a digital app so the airlines will then need to match your name date of birth, and confirm that you are the person who the card is tied to. So make sure, like if you're in a situation where you use your middle name a lot or, you know, you use your middle name as your first name or you got married or something like that, make sure that your vaccine card matches your name. And if it doesn't, try to go back uh, to where you got the vaccine and see like, you know, if you got married, a marriage certificate and they can update maybe your vaccine card or there's got to be some way you know, for, for those procedures. So make sure that the names match and make sure that the uh, the document was issued from an official source. That's a public health agency or a government agency. Those are going to be the best ways to go. I'm going to guess the only places that might kind of, you know, not fit in there would be like a private clinic or something like that, like a, you know, but I, I'm going to guess in most places you're going to go to a big center and get you know, an official card. So just make sure it's official. Just, you know, don't, uh, don't go for the, 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 the obscure vaccine or whatever that is. Um, and you got to make sure that the card that you are showing to show that you are vaccinated. If you are coming to the U S you got to make sure that it shows the vaccine that you got. So whether it's Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, whatever it is, make sure that it shows 
the vaccine, the doses you received, the date that you received the doses, the place you received the the dose, so wherever the you know the administration center was. You need all of that information. Make sure that uh, you get that. And when you go to the clinic, um, you you know you can ask the airline which clinics they recommend as well. But when you go there, make sure you you let them know I'm traveling to the U.S. This is the information that I need on the card. And that will be very helpful. Now, which COVID vaccines are being accepted for single dose? That's going to be the J&J, Johnson Johnson, or Janssen uh, vaccine. That's single dose. You're vaccinated according to the U.S. Otherwise, for the two-dose series, the ones that are being accepted right now, and again, please check. I'm just This is just an overview, and I'm not giving you medical advice. This could all change, and I can be wrong, but I'm reading it right now from the CDC website. Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, Covaxin, Covishield, BIBP, or Sinopharm, or Sinovac. Any of those vaccines are going to be accepted. So if you have one of those vaccines, then uh, that, that's enough to travel to the U.S. All right. So uh, there are some exceptions for children. Children under 18 are exempted from the vaccination requirement for foreign national travelers, given that a lot of children in a lot of countries aren't allowed to be vaccinated yet. So there you go. What are the testing requirements for those children? So kids can't, you know, they don't need to be vaccinated, but uh, they still have to be tested. So kids from 2 to 17 are required to take a pre-departure test. If a child is not fully vaccinated and traveling with a fully vaccinated adult, they can show proof of a negative viral test from a sample taken within three days before departure. There you go. Now, if if you've got an unvaccinated child traveling alone, or with unvaccinated adults, then they have to show proof of a negative viral test taken within one day of departure. So that's pretty consistent. Unvaccinated with adult, unvaccinated, one day test. Vaccinated adult, three day test. Make sense? Kids don't have to be vaccinated, but getting vaccinated uh, allows you to take that test three days instead of one day. Uh, and if a child is under two years, they're exempted from the testing requirement. How lucky, how lucky, kids. And the CDC recommends a pre-departure test still whenever possible. All right, what kind of tests meet the requirement? Can you do a home test? Travelers must show documentation of a negative viral COVID-19 test result or documentation of recovery from COVID-19 within the past 90 days before boarding a plane to the U.S. Interesting. Both nucleic Acid amplification test, NAAT, or a PCR test or antigen test will qualify. A self-test can be used if it meets the requirements of the order, including real-time proctoring by a telehealth service affiliated with the manufacturer of the test that generates the test result that can be reviewed by the airline before booking. Basically, this is the same standard for qualifying tests applied to pre-departure testing that has been a requirement since January of this year. What does it mean three days before departure? The test must be administered no more than three calendar days before the date of the international flight to the United States. So if you are traveling to the United States at 10 p.m. on January 19th, you would have to present a negative COVID test that was taken any time after midnight on January 16th. It is calendar days. It is not It is not 72 hours. It is three calendar days. So... That gives you a little bit more flexibility. Um, are there changes to U.S. citizens? Previously, all U.S. citizens and citizens were required to show a negative test within three days. But now we know that if you are vaccinated, it's three days. 
and you still have to take a test. If you're not vaccinated, then it's got to be a uh, test within one day. And you obviously don't have to, shouldn't have COVID, right? Like the tests have to be negative. So that basically uh, is a rundown. There's a couple more details. I'll leave a link to um, this uh, State Department website page, which has the full rundown. And it is a long rundown of requirements. But hopefully this has been helpful for you if you're traveling to the U.S., anytime soon or you're taking a trip across 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 international borders hopefully that's been useful for you um now that we've cleared up those myths i think let's clear up some myths about the trip shortage right after this all right chip shortage why am i waiting for my macbook pro for two months and why are you waiting for probably all the other things you ordered why are the why is the chip shortage dragging on and on and on well, this article from Wired talks about it, and I, I want to kind of break this down. If I give you the TLDR, the too long did not read version, I'm going to say this. Pre-pandemic, people were ordering a certain amount of stuff. Post-pandemic, people started ordering way more stuff. Companies then could not meet demand, so there's a, a supply chain shortage. Travel and cargo restrictions tightened the, the supply chain. Supply chain gets tighter. Companies in China that manufacture and make semiconductors say, start going, hey, we're going to hold on to these because we might need these because there's a chip shortage. Chip shortage gets worse, and more people start teleworking, working from home. Demand goes up, stays up. All the supply chain things start come crashing down to a head. Then you wait two months for your laptop. Does that make sense? Let's get into some details. All right, so why can't we keep making enough chips to just make all the gadgets that we're using? So nearly two years into the pandemic, all these disruptions, we are still in the middle of a severe chip shortage of computer chips, which is affecting everything from computers, laptops, phones, cars, smartphones, smartwatches, anything with a chip in it, which is basically anything that you can buy today, right? So everything's got a chip. Um, automakers have been forced to halt production in recent months as sales declined because they can't make enough cars. If you've tried to buy a new car or sell a used car, you know your used car is worth a lot more right now and your new car is going to be a lot more expensive because chip shortage, right? You don't necessarily think about cars having chips in them, but they've got computers in them. That's managing all the stuff from your entertainment system to, you know, to the camera system of the car, all sorts of stuff running internally into the car, all the diagnosticals, everything. It all requires chips. And it's not just like a single chip. There's multiple chips in all of this stuff that's helping it run. Now, in app, in October, Apple blamed chip scarcity for uh, hurting its financial results, and Intel warned that the drought will likely stretch into 2023. In short, the semiconductor supply chain has become stretched in ways that are deeply rooted and difficult to solve. Demand is ballooning faster than chip makers can respond, especially for basic yet widespread components that are the subject to the kind of big variations in demand that make investments risky. Quote, it is utterly amazing it's taken so long for the supply chain to rebound after the global economy came to a halt during COVID, says Brian Matas, an analyst firm that tracks the semiconductor industry. For one thing, the sheer demand of chips has been surprising. In 2020, COVID began upending uh, you know, business as usual. The uh, chip industry was already expecting an upswing. So what worldwide chip sales fell 12% in 2019, according to the Semiconductor Industrial Association. 
But in December of 2019, that same year, the group predicted that sales would go up 5.9% and 6.3%. In fact, the latest figures show that they went up 29.7%, almost 30% between August of 2020 and 2021. Demand is being driven by technologies like cloud computing and 5G, basically all the stuff that we buy. At the same time, so we've got this massive, unexpected demand for chips, right? Not 5 or 6% as the predictions were, but we're at like 30%, which is a huge, huge jump. And factories just can't churn out enough chips because they're not really designed to make that many chips, right? Now, at the same time, the U.S. imposed sanctions on Chinese companies like Huawei, a leading manufacturer of smartphones and networking gear. And because of that, a lot of Chinese firms began hoarding as much of the chip supply as they could because they were worried about not being able to have enough chips to make their own stuff. Chips, a lot of them come from China. They come from Taiwan, are the two main makers of chips. And because of that, well, they kind of get to go, hey, we're going to hold on to these chips because uh, we might not be able to, might not be able to, you know, we don't want the chip shortage to hurt our companies. So the surge in demand for high tech products triggered working from home, lockdowns, and this shift has only continued. There's so much more telework, says David uh, Yofi, a professor at Harvard Business School who previously served on the board of Intel. It says chip makers didn't appreciate the extent of sustained demand until about a year ago, and now they can't just turn on a dime. New chip making factories cost billions of dollars and take years to build an outfit. It takes about two years, two years to build a new chip factory, says, and factories have gotten a lot bigger, a lot more expensive, and a lot more complicated too. If you've heard anything about the new M1 chips that Apple is making, you know that the chip game has basically changed these are not easy to make, and chips are not just chips anymore. They're integrating them with memory, um, with all kinds of cores. You know, it's not easy to make a chip, especially these days. And this week, Sony and the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, these are the world's biggest maker of chips, said they would invest $7, billions, $7 billion to build a, uh, a fab capable of producing older components, but it won't start making chips until the end of 2024. Intel's also investing in some new fab, uh, fabs, but they won't come online until 2024 either. I think that's why you're seeing everyone is saying, oh, it's going to be until 2023 that we're going to start getting enough chips. And it says another issue to add on top of all of this is that chips are not all created equal. Single components, simple components, like power-controlled integrated circuits, microcontrollers and sensors have all become a key pinch point. These devices are far simpler than CPUs and GPUs and smartphones and game machines, but they're also used to make older manufacturing methods that are less complex. But in just about every electronic product from microwave ovens to medical devices and toys. So these less complicated components are really where the crunch is being felt. So a power controlling integrated circuit used in many products that once cost a dollar can now sell as for as much as $150. So things are getting expensive on those uh, those items that are used the most because the shortage is being felt the most there. And obviously, you're not going to pay you know, three times as much for your iPhone or for your next smartwatch. And so that just slows everything down. So that's where we are at the chip shortage. Let's see, is there any good news? It says that right now the, the factories are operating at 95.6% of their capacity. So that's great. 
That's up from 76.5% of capacity in 2019. So that's good. So we're making as many chips as can possibly be made. Problem is, that's just not enough chips. And until those new f uh, factories come online, it's going to be about 20, 23, 24. So what does that mean if you are shopping right now? That means, I'll tell you one thing, the deals are very, very good because as all of these things are happening, there is also a slowdown in online shopping. Believe it or not, there is a slowdown, slowdown on online shopping. A lot of you have been shopping online during the pandemic, buying a lot of things. And now we're getting this rebound effect where people have felt things are getting back to normal and they bought way too much during the pandemic. Maybe things that they're not going to use as much as they thought. Maybe people are going out more and they're not going to use those things. So the deals right now, and I, I don't know if I mentioned this on the last podcast, but the deals on things like Sony products, cameras, headphones, Bose headphones I've seen, Garmin watches, Apple watches, the Apple M1 MacBook Air right now is at its lowest price ever. You're getting great deals for the products that are out. And the reason for that is because companies have now, you know, let's say they've got a, a hundred thousand of whatever that they've got of a product. They know that the new one is going to be delayed. The new version two or three or whatever is going to be delayed. So a lot of these companies have those, they have stock that they need to sell quickly because they have basically they're, they're having to, they can't make things on order. They've got to order as much as they think people are going to buy. People don't necessarily. And so they're going to usually make more than they need. And right now you're finding great deals. I'm going to tell you this. If you're shopping for electronics, wait until the end of this month. I wouldn't buy anything before because the deals are just going to be great. Right now I'm seeing like things I'm tracking for smartwatches. I'm seeing a drop of about 15% right now, but I've seen drops of close to almost 40%, 40-45%. So there's a lot of great deals. If I were you, I know it's tough. Your The things that you order right now that are going to have great deals on them are going to be things that are sitting in a factory here or close to you. So you don't have to worry about the chip shortage because they've already been shipped. The, the problem is with things that are new, like the MacBook Pro, for example, which I keep bringing up. But my laptop that I ordered is a custom design, custom specs. That's something that Apple is not just going to make. That That's going to have to be made. You know, that's something that they're not going to just pre-make, right? So that's sitting in a factory somewhere. So they get the order, and that basically has to go to the factory. They've got to actually make the chip and the, the configuration of the RAM and on the GPUs and all that stuff specifically that I'm looking for because it's pretty niche. Um, and then that's going to be shipped over to get to me. So that that's why that takes long. If you get, you know, if you're, even if you're shopping for a Mac Pro and you get one of the custom, I'm sorry, not the custom, but one of the the uh, the regular, either the base model, you can find those at Best Buy. Best Buy's got a bunch of Mac Pros. They've got the base model, and I think they've got the maxed out one. They don't have anything in between, and those higher-end models are going to also be harder to find because people don't buy a lot of those. So Apple doesn't, they're not going to pre-order a bunch of those, right? So base models, you've got a lot of those. 14-inch, you've got more of those than 16-inch because the 14-inch is the more popular version of the Mac Pro, so on and so on. All of this is to say, if you are shopping, please, please wait. You are going to get some great, great deals unless what you are buying is brand new or something that is very hard to find right now. All right, a couple more things. Now that people are traveling to the U.S., right? So now that you can get to the U.S. from all those different places you are, do you know how much to tip people? Because 
you know, tipping is like a whole culture in the U.S. And it's more than just 15%, which seems ridiculous for a lot of people coming to the U.S., but tipping is involved in pretty much everything. You know, you go to a restaurant and you've got a tip. Like, a tip doesn't mean the service was good. A tip is just basically required. So it's not really like a tip. It's just, you know, like if your meal is $100, you're paying 115 And now that's kind of gone up. Like, it's anywhere from like 15 to 25%. You'll see... Especially if you're paying electronic, they'll give you these options like 15, 20, 25 percent, which is a huge, like a huge percentage of the meal. Like if you're in Europe, usually you just round up and it's in change. Tipping isn't really expected in a lot of places. A lot of places around the world where tipping wasn't common, that has a lot of American tourists, it's become more common. So you're starting to see that. But it can all be very confusing, especially if you haven't traveled to the U.S. before. I've developed TipBox, which is an app which puts all of the tips everywhere that you need to tip for everything around the world every country wherever you're going and right now there's a great deal on it for ios users android your next let's break down the tipping that's required in the u.s so how does all of this work so in general if you're at a restaurant or a bar it's 15 percent. that's the absolute minimum most places a lot of people will give 20 percent now it is becoming more common so 18 to 20 percent is becoming more common especially on on uh, smaller purchases and higher purchases. So, you know, if you're getting like a cup of coffee or something small like that, then typically you just round up to the next dollar. That's pretty common. Or if there's a tip jar, then, you know, any like a dollar or any amount of change will, will, do, will do fine there. But if you're just buying an over-the-counter, you know, coffee something small then you're going to tip your barista directly you can give up to 20 25 percent if there's a tip jar that's usually collective a dollar up to a dollar will work per drink that you get is common at restaurants if you're getting table service it's 15 percent and at bars if there is no table service then about a dollar per drink is typically common and then on your final bill 15 percent minimum up to 20 maybe 25 if it was great great service now, what about things that are less common? What if you're, you know, you're in the U.S. and you need a haircut? You're going to a barbershop or a hairdresser. Well, the standard rule of thumb applies, which is 15 to 20 percent. That's the, the kind of the, if you don't know it, when in doubt, 15 to 20 percent. But tips at barbershops and hairdressers are typically given in cash. So make sure that you show up prepared. Otherwise, you won't be able to leave a tip. You can, you know, just you can tell them you're going to go and come back. But you don't want to leave without giving a tip because that would be considered very, very very rude and a lot of assistants uh, who work at hair salons a lot of waiters i mean they rely on the tips because their hourly wage is something like two dollars and uh, i've written about the the history of tipping it's not a very nice one actually so you you might want to check that out I'll leave a link to that in the description below it's pretty interesting why tipping exists the way it exists in the u.s but if you are at a barbershop or hairdresser in cash 15 to 20 percent is common or you're going to round up so if you know if the, the haircut is eight dollars uh, you just go up to 10 you know that's 20 percent you don't need to calculate you know 15 percent of eight dollars just, just round it up if it's a small amount now for salon assistants for example someone washing your hair they might not be getting a tip uh, they might not be getting a share of the tips that are being collected so if you're in a situation where you know you've got multiple people working on you then it's best to check with the receptionist to make sure that, you know, if you give a $10 tip to like a tip jar, that every assistant is going to get, you know, a share of that. But if they're not, 
and a standard $5 to $10 is appropriate for each assistant who personally attended you. For hairstylists who are spending more than three hours with you, like working on a cut, color, or other services, then you may consider tipping 22 to 25% is considered common. For things like quick touch-ups, like bang trims, or where you're just in for like 10 or 15 minutes, a tip of 5 to $10 is still considered a common courtesy. Now, if you're moving, let's say you're moving to the U.S., or you're moving from one place to another within the U.S., anything over long distances, which is more than across town. So if you're moving from one town to another, that is a long distance. So that's going to be 15 to 20% of the total cost of the move is expected. For shorter moves within within a town, it's about 5 to 10% is more common. Now, for moves that are more difficult or for particularly good service, you can consider giving up to 20% tip. So if if there's a lot of stairs that movers have to carry up a bunch of bulky things, then you can consider, you know, giving up to 20%. If they're, they're working hard, there you go. So for things that are a little bit more difficult, or you can just go with a flat fee anywhere from 20 to $40 for longer moves. So if you're moving, getting a tattoo in the U.S., let's say you don't want to forget about your trip, well, 15 to 20%, but usually it's about 20% is expected. And you only give the tip, or you should give the tip when the work is complete, that's... That's just kind of how it works. So if you're getting a tattoo where you got to go in over a couple of days, you tip after the work is done. So you may have to pay up front for the tattoo, but you add the tip afterwards. So you can give that in cash if you're paying with card or whatever. Uh, same thing with massage therapists. It is 20% of the total cost and it is expected. Some spas will have the tip included in the rate. So make sure you check with reception if you're going to a spa to make sure, you know, is the tip included if it's not, then consider 20%. Uh, some places won't accept tips at all. So again, the receptionist will tell you that getting your nails done in the US, 15 to 20%, but for shorter services like manicures or new nail sets, it's going to be closer to 25%. So check with your technician if tips are left at the front desk or given to them directly. Keep in mind, most places will prefer cash. So just like I said, arrive prepared. Food delivery, if you're getting food delivered to you, 15 to 20% is common. Again, most people are giving closer to 20% these days, so it's just something to keep in mind. If you're getting fast food, like you're getting McDonald's or, or something like that, where the food is like under $10, you're getting that delivered, then 2 to $4 of a tip is expected. So if you're getting like a $7.99 pizza, round that up to $10, yeah, you can consider it $12, bucks, you know, something like that. Because like I said, people who work on tip-based, you know, so waiters, who are working on a uh, waitress is working on a tip based uh, fee they get paid about two dollars and thirty cents an hour and they rely on the tips They're basically paying you know a huge part of their wage so they rely on the tips so unless the service was absolutely terrible or you had a really bad experience then i would say then you just have to leave a tip um, so those are the some common less common things that you might encounter whether you're traveling or not it can get confusing and uh you know when you go to when you go to pay with card like i said you'll get 15 20 and 25 percent 15 is at the lower end but uh you you, you know 15 percent is not a bad tip uh, but there you go that's how much you you should tip for uncommon things in the u.s and like i said tip fox has all the rules for all the country including the u.s where tipping is kind of a, a culture of its own uh and you know what i'm gonna give you one final story bonus story here we go bonus story all right people in australia are still being locked down because of the pandemic so what they can do there there is a company there that delivers coffee 
with drones. Interesting. Now, this company is called Wing, and it's a company that delivers coffee in Australia, and it's owned by a subsidiary of Google. And so the, the drones work in the area on autopilot. They they send out a delivery. You order the thing through an app. You order your coffee, and then the the, the drone is automatically launched, and it brings you your coffee. And he says, uh, this guy who's been ordering the coffee says that you know he orders his coffee and he gets his drone because of lockdown. He doesn't want to go out, but it shows that there is a raven. So this guy gets a coffee, and the look this look looks like it is pissing this raven off, because every time the drone now tries to deliver coffee to him the raven shows up and attacks it. And there's a great YouTube video on this raven attacking the drone. And when I say drone, it's not like the hovercraft type of drone. It's more like a propeller airplane drone. It looks a little bit different than a drone. So it's a little bit easier, I think, for the uh, raven to attack because it doesn't have propellers all over the top. And uh, local birds have been attacking these. They haven't been able to stop a delivery yet. Uh, so that's that's good news if you're if you work at Wink. So durable drones but it has suspended operations in the area because it is nesting season in the location and birds like ravens when they are nesting are pretty vigilant about protecting their offspring and uh, it doesn't look like we're going to see any coffee deliveries anytime soon but i think they will try again in a couple of months there you go ravens attacking drones i have my drones been attacked by birds a few times yes um, maybe a story for another time Thanks very much for listening to this episode of the podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Got so much coming up, so much tech coming up, a lot of guests coming up, which I'm really excited to share with you. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you've rated it five stars wherever you're listening to it. Apple, Google, Stitcher, you know, all the usual places. But until the next episode, I hope you have a great rest of your day.